0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapyansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. It also has an interesting uh, coincidence when it comes out always. Um, it always comes out in Pashish Mishpatim. You know, it's the week of Pashish Mishpatim. It's, um, Rabbi Sol Salant is extraordinary for many reasons. First of all, um, he left over very little of his own writings and a lot of what he did was sort of hidden, but a lot of what we have today is from him. He was basically the Galador for kufa and it's important to understand a little bit the context of what was going on. It's also a little difficult to try to pin down... Won the Kud of his because there was a lot that everybody knows he was he started the Muslim movement, but it was a lot bigger than that. And to try to get sort of a sense of how it ties in together is not easy. First, a word about what the sources are. We spoke last time that you always have to suspect biographies, to suspect biographies as what, where they come from. And it's nice that we can tell stories, but stories need to come from someplace. Um, so, Let's map out at least what I think the Makoros that are reliable. First of all, he lived between 1810 to 1883, or four, and we have the following: we have a little bit from his big Talmud of Yitzhak Blazer. Yitzhak Blazer was his biggest Talmud, and he wrote. He put out the Or Yisrael, which includes. A, 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 few, a few items that he spoke Rabbi that he wrote, letters that he wrote and a rough sketch of some of his dark avoda and so on, with a few bits and pieces that's one source that's obviously impeccable and there's a Sefer Ecclesiastro that was put out after Spetira, which has Likutim from I think his grandson, a few others, all sorts of Anhoggis, and Verta and, and stuff like that there is a fascinating book from somebody named Yaakov Mark. Yaakov Mark was, I would, I would call him today. He would be considered centrist, I guess, for the lack of a better word, a from modern person. He's a fascinating person. Um, he would write columns in a newspaper, in the States, but he lived in a city called Flunagan in Latvia, Courland, which was sort of Germany, Latvia, and. It was a, a, a resort area where a lot of Cheshwar people would go for vacation or if, or if they needed. In those days, it was more to drink water. They, they used to bathe in the sea and drink the, the, There was like those, uh, those mineral waters and stuff like that. And he lived there. And he got to know quite a few gdolim. And he wrote a book in Yiddish and then translated into Hebrew. I don't know if I've ever made it to English. It's Goddolius Soldat um that I knew um it's print, it was in Hebrew also I have it it's um it's fascinating he, he writes personal mices, he writes the Mices and they are extremely um they're very fresh and candid and very insightful <coughs> and he has quite a bit of Rav Sosalanta, who we've met many, many times as was there in the town so that's a very good source. The best source is. A, it, so he was, this was written about in the 20s. So if the book was in 1920 and he knew him personally, um, let's say 45 years before, uh, so that, those are personal stories. Finally, the best source is, there's a safe of, I think it's by Bittreus in English, five volumes called Tnuas Samusa by Rabdov Katz. Katz was a Slabotka Bal Musser, very, very special person. Um, he put out, he started his work, Nusa Musa, and the first volume was written before World War II. So that means he's writing the late 30s about Rabbi Sol Solanta, who lived 50 years before, and he knew people who knew him. He himself didn't know him, he, was, he couldn't have known him, but he knew people who knew him. And best of all, and he did a lot of research from newspapers and, and things that have been printed, he brings m- <coughs> makhoras for everything that he says he has a macros. he was a person with a very, the mile of Rabdov Katz is he understood Musa, he was from the world of Musa, he was a Zapatka Talmud he um, w- looked through he didn't rely on stories he went through started material, written documented material, and most of all he has a scummer on the safer from uh Rabbi Sol Solanta's great-grandson, who's Rev Desla. Rev Desla was a great-grandson of Rabbi Sol Solanta, uh, his mother was a Grudensky, who was a granddaughter of Rabbi Sol Solanta. And Rev Desla writes in it that it's a tremendous work. He, he was, it was unsolicited. He got it from him, and he writes back that I read it from cover to cover. I bought, well, as soon as I saw it, I bought it, I read it and it's extraordinary. He said, I have a horror that there's one chapter about Rabbi Sol Salanta's um, interaction with um, with Lemurichol that I think l- might give people room to make a mistake and should have maybe rearranged a little bit whatever That's his only horror, but everything else is very mishabeach. So that, that's a very, very powerful askama from Abdesler, who was a great-grandson and was one of the leading lights in Muslim movement himself. So those are the... So those are my sources. Um, he himself basically subsumes all the sources. The Tulsa Musa absorbs all the other sources. Kemat doesn't leave anything out. Um, it's a, and he also wrote a book that was printed only once. It's called Pul Musa Musa, about Rabbanando against the Musa movement. And he brings all the material and the reasons and a very, very well written, um, even handed type of account. And it was printed once in, in the 70s in Evil. So let's go to Rabbi Salsa. Let's let's first look at the Tkuf and understand a little bit about it. European Jewry in Europe was from, like everybody, like the Goyim Abdul, the 1600s. In the 1700s, the Goyims started, um, their faith started sort of uh, wavering and they started becoming the Age of Reason and so on and so forth. And the Jews in Germany followed along, and the movement that was called Haskalah started in Germany in the mid-1700s. It, it, it included um, a gentle, uh, gentle Haskalah and then a very powerful and a reform movement, and by the time the mid-1800s had come around, it was gone. German Jewry was not from, period, and Schabscher Paul Hirsch was able to to create a, a renaissance but it really was destroyed in, in, in within a period of a, of a dark was gone uh, the ascola and then reform which was a branch of ascola destroyed it utterly east europe started shaking in the 1800s starting galicia because they were under the austro-hungarian empire and the frank joseph was a decent person and he started he he um, made some about schools, and so on and so forth, and it started spreading across Lithuania, Russia, Poland. And the movement really gained traction, especially in Lithuania. Now, let's understand how the saw the matzah of Lithuanian Jewry in that kufa. They were There were a lot of Stam people who were brought up very tough. The old Derech HaChinuch was strong, and you went to Chedah, and the Rebbe beat your shemaim into you, and whatever little you knew how to learn, he beat into you, and it was very clear, this is the way it has to be, authority, communities were strong, the were the authority, and that's the way it went. Yeshivas didn't exist, except for Velashen, so Bacha was bright, his melamed would send him off to a of Araf to learn, he would sit and learn, he would chaza would <coughs> chaza this, and he would know mesechtes and poiskim. And his personality was also authority. This is the way it is, this is the way it has to be, and that's it. The Musa, in any sense, was for common folk. Uh, a Magid who was not considered, to being great, uh, magid were not considered to be in great distinction, would go from town to town, and they would say drushes, some were funny, some were sharp, some described Gehenim, some this and that. And anybody who was a little bit learned didn't attend those drushes, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of common folk entertainment and Yerushimayim. And that was it. And, and that was the way things were. That had very little chance of withstanding the onslaught of um, Haskalah. First of all, Anyone who was bright and intelligent and was exposed to reading things that were, that had depth and uh, intelligence, whereas his learning was hazing over chulin, uh, so they could put a pin through it and see what it, which places is where, wasn't getting him anywhere. When someone came along and exposed him to ideas, to noble, beautiful ideas in, in, in the world thought and literature and so on, Umaswat. The a with some stupid drusher, so anybody who had a little bit of sensitivity fell for it. And authority was no longer so important because Jews began going to university, began to move out of Shtetlach into the cities, and it was going to fall apart. Rabbi Salamta was born in 1810. He was born in a small shtetl near Kovno called Zagar his father was a chash his father was a Melamed, later became a rav of tells, he was brilliant, brilliant, that was the first characteristic, at the age of 10, he was saying a pilpul in front of a beis mevish, literally, at the age his father sent him to the local rav to learn, to, to salant, his father wasn't happy with his pilpulim, and he sent him at the age of 12 to learn by Svi the rav of Salant. And that's why he's known as so Salant. That's where he spent most of his time. At the age of 14, he wrote a country to Rabbi Vega. Rabbi Kivega never answered him on it. Somebody from town visited Rabbi Kivega. and Vega said, You know, you're, you're from Salant? A 14 year old boy sent me a country that is G'oinis Atsuma. It's awesome. I'd never seen anything like it. And it told me a little about him, so he said, you know, and so Rikveig explained, he said, I never replied to him, because I said to myself, he lives in Salant, the Rav over there is a big guy in Paris Brody, why is he writing to me? I guess he must be in a fight with the Rav, and he wants to hear from me compliments to use against the Rav, I didn't want to do it. That's, that's, that's what Rikveig had held of him, it was extraordinary. He got married at 14, those days was not uncommon to get married at that age, 14, 15, got married at 14, and he stayed in Salant for 18 years. And he sat and learned, basically. His first, um, his first job opening came um, when Parnas became difficult, and he had a position in Vilna. And in <coughs> 1840 or so, Vilna took him, somebody in Vilna took him to be a, a, a Ram in his yeshiva. Now, while he was in Salant, he learned, <laughs> but one of the people in that base that he was learning, his name was Abyezif Zundel the Salant, he was a of of Velozhin, he was a big tzaddik, and a big kaddish, has Onan Hagis. And so Salant noticed him, and he began to look and follow him and, get a sense of what's going on, like something strange, this person has all sorts of tzitkastika and hages, and Rebbe um noticed it, and he turned around and he said Yisrael, learn Musa and you'll be a Reish and he said those words changed his life those so five words changed his life, and he began to get involved in Musa learning, and finally he got his <laughs> first Stella was a Vilna, he was 30 years old in 1840 and he became a maghichir in a yeshiva in Vilna, Remailis, a famous yeshiva. In, after a year or two he noticed that the other rosh yeshiva had tzmenz radas because he, the bochum liked him, he was brilliant his, his pelpulim were extraordinary and he was a phenomenal speaker. He felt bad and he left and he made, his own, he made his own yeshiva somewhere in mm-hmm. Vilna, and he was in Vilna. He Once he became famous, and once people looked after him as a goyim, he began doing what he really wanted to do, and that is to create a movement dedicated to Yerushalayim. He felt, and again, this is a little bit reading in, because he left over very little... He left over very very little um, memoirs, writings, and even drushes and stuff. He left over very little, but his feeling was. But you see it in the way he, in the letters that he writes, that the yiras that existed in Europe and lit at the time, is just. It's just kind of you were, It was. It was sort of inculcated, and, you, and it had no chiyas, It had no life, no passion. No depth to it. And he began forming groups, Musa groups, and, and speaking very, very powerful <coughs> Musa And basically, what are the things that he was... In other words, what were his main points? So, his two main points were that unless a person becomes passionate about Yiddishkeit, it will dry up and die. And he's not going to be a good person. Even if he won't die, even if he'll always be from it's going to be a shell. And the only way to change that is to emotionally make an upheaval as needed, constantly. And to that end, he introduced the following. A. There should be a special place to learn Musa. He called these places Beis HaMussas. They would be off the base medrash, they would be darker. There would be only Musa's farm there, and everybody would sit himself, not Rusa, and take and that was, So the first thing is the setting, the base of mussa. Two. He said, until you don't get pa- impassioned about something, it doesn't have its effect. So to take a Maimar hazal or a pasik that strikes you, or that deals with a mead or something that you're dealing with, and you chazer it again and again and again and again, a half hour, 40 minutes, un- until, until it explodes inside of you. And that has a profound effect on you. D- that's the second point. The third point, or just the first two were part of how to learn Musa, so he called that "sfasayim dolkos, meaning you sing it and that was the classic Musa was a ah, yeah, 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 that, that that sing song and you could sit a half hour, forty minutes with the same Maimar Chazal. Someone described to me Remoy Shapiro described to me um, he, when Avdesla was in Panovich, he said he remembers there was a um, it was a second day Rosh Hashanah, long two days Rosh Hashanah. And it was Mincha time, the secondary Rosh Hashanah, after Mincha. And people started breathing a little easier. The the the, the atmosphere was very heavy in Arashana in, in, in and Panavich. And it was very focused very concentrated. And he said, you know, and people started to take a deeper breath. They're like, okay, it's 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 after Mincha Rosh Hashanah secondary. And Abdusta came in, didn't say anything. He sat in a corner and began, took out a uh, um, my and he began sing-songing to himself that the know that their that their path leads to Gehenim but but their hearts are very very thick; they do not misfall. And he said he sat sort of into himself and began learning it, and he said you could feel the ripple effect, and then and then the people in front of him just took out a Musa Sefer, and he said, by the time Meyer came around, the whole Beis the Medrash whole was learning Musa. And he, and he said, you know, it just radiated out from him. That was the type of effect he wanted it to have. And the second part was that Musa requires Chachma because unless a person understands himself, then he doesn't know what he's doing. A person thinks he's doing chesed. He's running around doing chasadim, ah, Helping here, helping there, helping the other person. But really, he's trying to be noticed. Really, he's a busybody. He, 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 he needs people to, 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 to be involved with. Uh, a person sits and is learning a tremendous asmada. It's, it's not avas it's, it's the desire to have people take note of him. That's, that's, so here you have a person who's, and so on. Unless there's chachma, unless there's an element of, of um, understanding yourself and understanding how a person's inside works, it's not, it, the person's going no place really quickly. It, it, it just keeps dealing with things that are better, not him. And that's, and, and, and the, the chachmas of musa is to analyze, to think into yourself, to understand yourself. And to use Chazal to get there, and that's how we'd learn up ab- Chazal's uh, that he would understand in ways of dealing with nefesh, and that way a person would would look into himself, and a person would understand himself. And that was to him very, very significant. So the two elements, what Rabbi Srol was mechadish was that no person is immune to the needs of Musa that big people are from and doing from things and good things are not good people necessarily he has a very powerful muscle and he speaks a lot about the the inside kohos and the outside kohos and his muscle is very powerful his muscle is imagine a person has a son who is a good for nothing and he has a Talmud (coughs) who's really, really, really Mutzlach. So anybody seeing him, sees him always with his Talmud smiling and saying, ah, Givaldi, good, wonderful, great. And with his son, he always looks kind of peeved and he's always upset and it's this and that. He said, okay, now imagine in the middle of the night, a fire breaks out in his house, he wakes up choking on smoke. What does he do? He says, he runs and grabs his kid. Doesn't when he grabs his Talmud. He grabs his kid first. Why? He said, because on the outer layer of Kochos, he certainly has a better rapport with the Talmud than he has with his son. But when you look under the surface, his son is his son. He said, Amayimah Chazal, extraordinary. The way he learned of Maima Chazal, this, this is very typical. It says, by Avraham Avinu, there's, I think it's a Tanchuma, if I'm not mistaken. Tanchuma says that as he was being a makriv, Yitzchak, it says, were being Zolig Dumaos, his eyes were crying, and he says, and then it says, the same Chazal on the Bible says, HaKadosh, Parucho was made, that he was marked him, Beshleimus, the Belief Shalom." I think it says, that he, was, that he did that, the Belief Shalom. so yes, I don't stand, it's a steer I obey so he it says it's not a steer, because in as far as his conscious, that was 100% like Kaddish Hu. But what's underneath, you don't have control. Your eyes cry when your son is on Mizbeyach, even if your head knows it's the right thing. And that's Zechal That was Rabbi Yisrael's Chidushim in the world of Musa. And he felt, and he went around from place to place. He would first get people worked up with drushes. He would then make Potimadrahim of Besa Musas. he would have Talmidim that he especially gave time to and work with them and then ask them to take over and he felt that that would be the salvation of uh, of Lita of and, and you know that part of, of of Europe his his in Vilna came to an abrupt end in. 1848 49 what happened was the the czar made a um he wanted they they, they, they made a base or abonim in uh, in vilna besmedish was a, a, a the um, maskilim wanted to, c- to create yeshivas to produce quote unquote rabbonim who would lead the nation to Haskalah. And they got the government involved in doing that. And they asked Abisol to head. Rasul Solanta was a personality that was, interestingly enough, accepted by almost everyone. The the, the saw held him in great esteem. He was a Gayan Adir, he was a tzadik. The Maskilim also held him in esteem because he really spoke negatively. He usually spoke very positively, respectfully. He spoke a lot about the depth of Judaism, the meaning. The masculine time it was that Judaism is rusty, it deals, doesn't deal with real issues, real people, it's just a bunch of laws about the you know, arcane things. And the, we speak of the beauty of Judaism and the spirit of Judaism, so did Rabbi Srol. Rabbi Srol was dressed immaculately, even though Rabbi Srol himself, was very poor and he lived on the dime, but he was clean, neat. There wasn't a a, a crease on anything he wore. He was immaculate. He was extremely beautiful, very, very regal. And Rebisrael was also knowledgeable. He knew languages. He had quite a lot of other <coughs> other nyanim, and anything that he felt is needed, he engaged it. They wanted to head it, and he and, and and he said no, and then the education minister of Russia came to him to ask him to head it. Um, You don't refuse those type of offers without some risk. So he left. They asked him, why are you against it? And it's very interesting. He gave different reasons to different people, none of the reasons you would expect. I mean, you know, the the Hungarian Nussar would have been the Apikorosim, Reshayim, Arurim, you know, the age of Gehenim and this and that. He gave two or three, but the one, I think we expressed it the most, was a letter to somebody in Kavana, Um And he said, when a Rav is sitting at home, and he's eating, and a poor man comes with a Shailah, the Rav drops everything, and sits down, and tries his best to be matted the chicken for the poor man, because he knows how how desperate the person is, and he needs to know Shas and Paisikim to be able to do that, and he needs to have a heart that goes out for someone else. When a rich man comes, he doesn't rush. And wait, and worst comes to worst, if he doesn't find a head of him, look we'll at another chicken. He said doctors is the opposite. When a poor man comes, the doctor is busy and can't see him. When a rich man comes, he runs on all four. He said, I don't know what it is, but yeshivas produce people that are sensitive to the, to the Hamonam, and universities produce people that are sensitive to their own needs and covered in money. And Rabbanim need to be people sensitive to the needs of the people. Was it a diplomatic answer? Was it a wise answer? Was it part of what he felt? I, I definitely think he felt it was right. But it's it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary answer. Al he left and went to Kovna. Kovna was in, was in Lithuania, was not yet part of Russia, really. And he was there for also something like 10 years and he founded the yeshiva with well over 100 talmidim and he brought in the ruach of Musa it was probably his most successful enterprise in that sense his most chash of talmidim on that kufa and all of them he taught the need to learn Musa daily the need to learn Musa in an emotional, passionate way the need to fill your Yiddishkeit with passion the, um, the, the need to be respectful, to think about other people, n- 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 everything about it. And he also founded a colo. He probably was the first one to found a colo where people could sit. they have to get married and be paid money and so on. He, 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 um, he worked very hard on the dignity of Nei They shouldn't go eat by people meals like what they used to. He had them arranged in a very becognitive way. He had a, a, a nice dormitory. He really, really was very important to cover that Torah. He said, if we have yeshiva bacham that are proud to be yeshiva Bakram, they will have the strength and dignity to change litter. And if they will be shmatis, they won't be able to do anything. That was his shita. Part of, I think, he, he worked very much on Adam El Havero and Choshe Mishpat. He said once, he doesn't understand why they teach kids Arachayim and Akash Mishpat. He said almost all of Arachayim, except for the Shabbos, is the rabbinins. Almost all of Arachayim Mishpat is the rais, it's Gzela. Even if the Kinna is rabbinin, Gzela is the rais. Um, I think it was part of his overall understanding that if you don't, if if you don't, if if a person's frumkite, is because he's bred from, so chickens, and Esroi and Lovim, and Kezaysim, those are all part of that package. But, but when you have an issue with money, there's no clear package, and people don't do the right thing. And that's why Benalm Haveron and Chayish Mishpat became very important. What's fascinating about his yard site is it comes out always Pashas Mishpatim. This next week it'll be on Shabbos Pashas Mishpatim, but that's, that's one of the uh, fascinating things of it. I want to say over two, three, four things about his understanding and care for Mominus, Beno Haveri, a lot of the few famous mice, a few less famous mices. I want to say over, first of all, two mices about the only time people ever serve, saw Israel Salanta and um, pretend to get angry. Pretending to get angry means he looked angry and he spoke furiously, but he himself said he, he would mutter to himself, Casa Ponevoli, Casa Leib. I, I need to project caste, but not be cast once was in Vilna in the eighteen forties when there was a cholera epidemic and a famous story of Saul Graf, and he made Kiddush. but he organized a hospital which fifty he rented a hospital of fifteen hundred beds and got doctors to work for free he um He also organized like at solo of sixty to seventy um, Bnei Torah, who would take the people who were sick and bring them to the hospital? Yafdun said cholera was a very dangerous epidemic, and he had them and he instructed them that on Shabbos they should do all the malachas, and not let a guy do it. Because until they get the guy and until the guy does it, he, he held that they need to do it, and that's what he passed. Vahiyah Yoim, one of the Vruma one of the very stark Vruma Balbatim's grandson, a son became sick with cholera. Immediately, that solo ran and got him. Um, and they did all the melaches, they, they, they cooked the water, did everything that was needed, the way Rabbi Sol Salanta passed him. And the, the kid pulled through. A week or two later, he came to Rabbi Sol Salanta, this person, and he thanked him. He said, but you know what? I, I think you were a little bit exaggerated in how much Chil Shabbos you allowed them to do. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanta told him, you prashtak, you prashtak, you're good for nothing. He said, You know nothing. Who do you think you are? He said, I took 60 to 70 B'nai Torah on my resp- Achrayas, and not one of them ever got sick. Can you do that? And you, 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 you don't have a day in this. He said it because he needed, he was afraid that if people would start arguing about it, they would start being this and he held those B'kor Nefesh. That's why he made Kiddush and on the b and so on. He, 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 he said, it's a mitzvah, the same Rebbein sholom that told you to, to, to keep Shabbat to Michal Shabbos. If you're doing what's right, then what's the Peshach? It's Chil Shabbos, so we have to be a little bit... That was once when he got angry. There's a second story. The second story is an extraordinary story. There was a terrible, terrible gzera. One of the darkest chapters in Jewish history was called the Cantonist gzera the same Tsar Nicholas may, may he rot together with his grandchildren and great-grandchildren in Russia the, um, was a Sunni Movok, and he was the following that every community has to provide soldiers for the Tsar soldiers for the Tsar was from the age 12 till the age of 40 I think 25 years they had to serve May 15, they had to serve the Tsar. If they were grabbed earlier, the 25 years only started at like the age of 15. Um, to take kids, to force them in the army, the, the mortality rate was terrible. They were, they were basically very few were left from. If they were left from, they came back at the age of 40, nobody wanted to look at them. They were coarse Russian soldiers who barely knew Ivra. Very, very, very horrible. And what was horrible about it was, they allowed and instructed the Jewish communities to give the kids that they felt. We don't care who you give. We need five kids from this community. And they would pick the kids. The kids would usually be the poor kids, the unfortunate kids. It was a terrible, terrible kufa it, it pitted Jew against Jew in a horrible way. It, 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 it's, it's an unbelievably difficult and black chapter in, in Kaiser's history. Um, at any rate, this Xayra started in about 1827, lasted for about 30 years. There was a woman in Salant. There was a woman in Salant, they also had to produce kids. And a woman came, there was a woman in Almana came with a young boy. She obviously was, was at the fringe of society. She would make a living, she would play accordion with a kid dancing around, and a kid would collect the coins that people, that, that people threw, and that's, that's how she supported herself. So they said, Givaldic, the, They, the, they, they, the community registered the kid as living there, and they grabbed the kid and took him to the, to the, whatchamacallit, to, for the, to give up the army. This woman went out of her mind. She, 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 you know, and she, 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 she went crazy, she went berserk, <coughs> and went around crying and screaming and yelling. <coughs> Rabbi Sol Salant arrived, and she, she heard a Chashva person came, she came to him, and she sat sobbing, telling him the story. And Reb Shlomo said, "Okay," he said, "Don't worry. After Shabbos, it'll be okay." Shabbos, he, he invited. They, they, they made a big kiddish in the shul. Reb came. Rishol was there. They made kiddish, and then Rabbi turns to the first person and says, "Reb so and so, you're a big tzaddik, right? You don't use the Erev, You wear sh- you wear your your, your, your like a shawl. because always the Erev. And what about Goynev nefesh or You." You're Macbeth, you down from a sitter, and this and that, yeah. And what about with Sicha, And you, and every single one. He said, it's also to live in this community, and he ran out of the city. And uh, it, it was... People, I mean, they were devastated. They, they knew they had no choice, they had to give the kid back, but they didn't have the guts to go to Rav Yisrael to, to try to fire him. They had... There was one person there who was a Talmud Chavir Bishro, a very famous person, own writer, Elie Katinga. He was a tremendous person. He was a person of wealthy businessman, Sadik Otsum, a big Talmud Chacham. They sent him to Rabi He came to Rabbi and he gave Yisrael a little Musa. And he said, he said it says, by that when he came out of the Myra and he looked around the world, he, he, everything started burning up because he had criticism for everything. And the Gemara says, a, a voice came out of Shemayim, you know, have you, are you coming to burn up the city? You know, go back into Yomaira. So he told Rabbi Sol, Rabbi Srault, these people did wrong, but it's a, Xera, it's a terrible Xera. You can't destroy uh, the town because of it. And, Rabbi, and he told Rabbi Stolt they gave the kid back, and it was despised. But those, those are two of the stories of his extraordinary... There's another story that I'd like to share about Rabbi Yisrael Salanta's breadth of um, understanding people, understanding their needs. This is written in a, in a memoir of a Yidra B'Leib Frumkin. Rabbi Leib Frumkin was Atam um, Chochem who settled in Yisrael. He founded the city of Petah Tikva and he tried to get people to settle in That's kind of the first type of Eretz uh, you know, settlers. He put out Reb Amarim Rep, uh, going sitter with, with, with Haris, whatever. So he came to Eretz Yisrael Salanta, and he wanted to get Eretz Salanta on his bandwagon. And he writes, I asked Rabbi Yisrael Salanta for a person who's decided to leave Russia and emigrate. Should he go to America, or should he go to Eretz He said, I didn't expect a reaction. He said, Eretz Yisrael Salanta's forehead, became creased, and he began, you could see his mind working furiously, and he began walking back and forth and thinking and agonizing, agonizing, finally sits down and he says, America. So, he said, I was a little shocked, and he asks, does the Rebbe think that they'll stay from in America? He says, highly doubtful. What about it, Israel? I said, probably. He says, I don't understand, I don't understand you. So why not Eretz Israel?" He said, in Eretz there's absolutely no way to make Parnassa. He said, the Muslims are not buying anything from the Jews, and there's nothing a Jew can do there to make a living. He said, I don't think it's right to, 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 to paint a, 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 a bright picture of Eretz and have a person come after three months to plead his last penny of savings, and then leave him penniless. He says there is no end to the terrible things a person will do if he doesn't have money. He said in America, he has a freedom of choice. He, he can choose. There are a lot of Yitzhaharas, but at least he's a Bahira. He said, Aeneas has a terrible effect on a person, and I'm weary of it. And so, Refunkel said, I, that's exactly what I came for. I'm looking to establish that Rabbonim and Kvirem get together and make places of Phrasnost and so on and so forth. And if I do that, will you be behind it? He said, absolutely. But the understanding that you need... It, you, you can't just send a person's... It, it, you have to worry about a person's Gashmias. And the understanding of the terrible toll poverty takes on people... That was part of Reb Yisrael's uh, extraordinary breadth of understanding and feeling and, and so on. al him his life didn't end there. In, in, he left Kovna abruptly in, after about eight or nine years, and he went to Germany. And in Germany, he started doing um, a lot of activities. Germany was gone, and people were shocked. He went to Königsberg and Memel, those, those are the two main cities that he was at in Germany. He learned German, he learned how to speak in German, he, he dressed well, he, he, he really, and he went and he made, again, he spoke for Baal Batim, he went to universities and got students together, spoke for them, taught them. He tried to get universities to teach Gemara so that the Jewish students would feel proud about Gemara. Um, he had many many activities. He once sent one of his Talmudim, one of his prized Talmedium, to learn to become a doctor so that the students would have an example of someone who's a big Reshema and a doctor. Unfortunately that student became Frey, and was very mit. But the saw had a very big picture of things. And his and his sense in Germany um, he worked very, very hard to get um, to try to revitalize Judaism in Germany. They, somebody once asked him, he was criticized in the press, even the Frey press, the Maskilim said, how do you leave over the Jews in Russia and run to Germany? And he told somebody a marshal. he said, and it's a very, very fascinating Marshall because it's, it's, it's so true, he says, when somebody's driving a horse and wagon, they sometimes get crazy, and they start galloping... Downhill, just stump. He said, if you try to rein them in as they're galloping downhill, they will overturn everything and you'll be killed and they'll be killed. He said, you need to hold on tight until it gets to the bottom of the hill and they're exhausted, and then slowly you can inch them up the hill again. He said, the jury in, in Russia and Lita are galloping downhill. There's no way to really hold them in. In Germany, they're at the bottom. They've spent their energy. And now it's possible to start inching them uphill. It's, 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 it's possibly one of the reasons why the tshuva movement started in the 70s rather than earlier, because it didn't start with the generation that was half from. It started with a generation that was totally gone. And sometimes it's easier when a person still has the itzahara in front of him to go someplace it's it's much harder to restrain than if a person is at the bottom and you and you ask him is the bottom as nice as you thought that you needed to run there and the person says no there's nothing here and you can slowly coax him uphill it, it's counterintuitive but but it's it's true his final two or three years of his life he ended up in paris paris as bad as the matzo was in germany paris was much worse in paris the jews were basically assimilated out he was in Paris, and he made tremendous efforts to... He wanted to translate the Talmud into French. He tried to get somebody to do it. He wanted to write a dictionary. Um, he, he, he he went around and tried to get Cheshmer Abonim to settle in France and to be mashpia on on Talmidim and so on. It's, it's, it wasn't... I mean, there are some stories about success. It wasn't all that successful in France. And one morning he said... He, he, he had a, he fell, he fell down a flight of steps, and he wrote a letter, and he said that um, if, if he would have been a shluch mitzvah, he wouldn't be nizik. He, he feels that he's not a real shluch mitzvah, and then he packed up, and he left Paris. They asked him why, and he said it's not good to die in Paris. In France, there's a law that graves are only for certain kufa. You have to rebuy the grave, and if there's nobody has to rebuy it, they, they take out the bones and burn them, or get rid of them. It's still out of Yomazet, they do it. Um, so he left, he went back to Königsberg, and he died a few months later. That was in 1883 uh, or thereabouts. Al Kaponim, the, 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 um, at the core of what he accomplished f- for Lithuanian Jewry, who is best of our Messiahists, the Messiahists of all of us, our yeshivas, his Talmidim were the ones that carried it out before. But the things that he brought in was that a passionless Yiddishkeit is 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 dead and waiting to disintegrate. It's not going to do it for you. You need to look for things, you need to focus on things that will bring out a passion and learning Musa be Slavos, is what's is the key to it. A person needs to understand himself and understand that there are many layers of person active, and that and 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 never to feel since if he's doing everything right and he's wonderful, then he's good and wonderful because there's so much more underneath the surface. A person needs a lot of chachm and insight to that. A person needs to conduct himself. Uh, uh, he, Rebisro Salanta, took things that he felt were appropriate, in other words. There wasn't a reaction that if the, hus- the masculine say X is right, then it must be wrong. Organization, cleanliness, um, bearing, language, all of these things were important, and they played themselves out later in Kelm and other places, that this is the way a person should go. A bentire needs to be given the ability to hold himself, to hold his head high not to be supported in a demeaning way, and not to be a shmata, needs to carry himself like a mentor, and, and people should address it that way. The greatest part of, he, he felt that the chilek of Torah that people neglect the most, has been Adem Haveri, and especially in Europe, and especially in Lita, people were very sensitive about COVID. People didn't have money, didn't have many tanugim, so COVID was a big issue. And the interplay of egos was difficult, and Yisrael felt that that's a neglected part of Torah, and he pushed very hard for Ben all these in His final, I guess a final picture of him by his patira is probably the best summation of a person. As he was dying, he was alone with a male nurse, a Pashti. And Rasol recognized that that person is superstitious, this and that. And Rasul turned to him and he spent his last um Few minutes and last breath, explaining to the person that a dead body is nothing; it doesn't harm anybody; it's nothing to be afraid of. There's no, there's no this, there's no that. It's you know, and so on, to put him at ease. And that was that was what he died with. Um, the understanding that even when a person is dying, it's you know, yes, the yom din is standing, and so on and so forth, is one thing. But there's another person in the room who's going to be sitting. On Spilkes, sort of, uh, you know, he, he kind of uh, spooked out. And he needs to put him at ease. That's, that's his last thing he did, was Sameh Noch So it's not Bechtir that, that he's always in Paschim him, so it comes out. There's certain things, big things about Ashkacha. Um, that was the Dmus the, the that the resource Lanta was. He, he left, he did so much and was involved in so many communities. Everything was hidden. Everything was quiet. We barely know about somebody who, for basically, created the framework for, for the Hemshech of the Any Yiddishkeit. But the little we know is is, is, a, is a strap in a bucket, and, um, and 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 we see his mice through the mice of his talmidim, his talmid talmidim that basically gave us back the Torah, to that that gave us the Torah that we have today in in the Litvish world. I